Happy Easter, everybody. Hasn't it been a great time of worship this morning? I've just loved it. It's just been so special. Our first service was last night, actually, our first Easter service. We had a, we had a good Friday service, and we had a, our first Easter service last night, and the place was just packed. And, and now, to this, today, we have four services. The last one is, is uh, Spanish, and Missouri City has three services. It's just amazing what God is doing in our church and seeing so many people, thousands of people coming to know the Lord. It has been a great weekend, a great weekend. Now, um, little Brian, five years old, was given a very important part of the Easter pageant in a, in a church, and, and, uh, but he just couldn't get the line. He just had one line. He just had the hardest time getting that line down. So just before he goes out to say the line, the director of the pageant gets right in front of him. Okay, Brian, here it is. He is not here. He is risen. I got it. I got it. So he goes right out, and with uh, full volume, he says, He is not here. He's in prison trying their best. Little Mackenzie, she's just in seven years old in first grade, little Mackenzie was in Sunday school and the teacher said, you know, Jesus is everywhere. And she thought to herself, that sounds right, except just not exactly right. She raised her hand and she said, I know one place where Jesus is not. Well, where is that, Mackenzie? Jesus is not in the grave. Amen? Jesus is not in the grave. We have come here today. We've gathered for only one reason, only one reason. Jesus is no longer in the grave. Just like the angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen as he said. This weekend, people are gathering all over the world by the billions. That's a B. By the billions are gathering all over the world. In every country that you could name, in, in every place in the world you could possibly imagine, they are gathering together across this globe for only one reason. Jesus Christ is alive. Some of them in churches and some in houses and some in hiding. But they are gathering to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that the resurrection of Jesus is one of, or maybe the most, verifiable fact in human history. Amen. The most verifiable fact in human history. Lee Strobel was a guy who was an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and he was an atheist, and he, he wanted to somehow put together an investigation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to somehow disprove it, to show everybody that it was just a hoax. It was just, it was, it was just uh, the imagination of others. It wasn't really true. And so he took all of the explanations for the resurrection and against the resurrection and he went down every one of those proof texts as he tried to figure out what was really true, what had really happened. And by the time he came to the end of his investigation, Lee Strobel accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. He said, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. And in fact, he put all of his research in this book. 
Here is a guy who's an atheist who comes to faith in Christ. He puts all of his research in this book called The Case for Christ. It is the most amazing research scientifically, archaeologically, historically. He, he uses every kind of guy that is an authority in his field to help him walk down every item that is a part of what we know as the crucifixion and resurrection, and he comes to the conclusion this is true. And he puts all that evidence in this book, The Case for Christ. I'm going to tell you something. You read the, this book, you'll never doubt again. And in fact, did you know there are four guys that I know about? There are four guys I know about who all were atheists, who all did exactly what Lee Strobel did, and they came to the same conclusion, and every one of them came to faith in Christ, every last one of them. If you really come to understand the resurrection and the validity of it and the truth of it, that he literally rose again from the grave, it is a historic fact. It will change your life. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Now, we have gathered here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we know you can't have a resurrection unless you have a death. And for Jesus, the death is on the cross. It is a crucifixion. And though we've gathered to talk about the resurrection, I, I want to just stop for a moment and sort of backtrack a little bit. I need you to give me permission to sort of take one sliver, just a sliver of the crucifixion story and ask you a question. We pretty much in this room, probably, most of us in this room probably know some of the outline of what happened. We know that the religious leaders on the night before Jesus was crucified had soldiers go to the Garden of Gethsemane and arrest Jesus. And we know that they brought Jesus to uh, them, to the, this religious group, and they tried him what was a mockery of a trial, and they convicted him of heresy. And then they escorted him to Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Rome, of, the, of this area in the behalf of Rome, and they took him to Pontius Pilate because they didn't have the authority to execute Jesus. Pilate would have to execute Jesus. So he, they took him to Pilate. When Pilate examined Jesus, he came back and said, I, I can't find anything wrong with him. I can't find anything that he's done wrong. But in order to appease the crowd... He had Jesus flogged. Now, the flogging that took place in first century Roman Empire was with a whip that was called the cat of nine tails. It had nine strips of leather, and inside, sort of sewn into that leather, were, were pieces of bone, sharp pieces of bone and metal, so that when that whip came across a human body and it was ripped back, it tore into that body. And in fact, it destroyed the muscles right under the skin, and it actually took chunks of skin off of that person. So you could actually see inside that person. And those people that experienced this cat of nine tails, if they didn't die, many of them died in the whipping, but if they didn't die, they wanted to. And that is what they used to whip Jesus. And when that whipping was done, Pilate brought Jesus before the crowd and said, look, here he is. I don't find any fault in him. What do you want me to do with him? And they yelled, crucify him. And you remember that Pilate then 
turned aside and he, wa- he washed his hands in a bowl of water as if to say, I, I, look, I'm not, it has nothing to do with me. I'm not a part of this. And then Jesus was taken to a place called Golgotha. It is, simply means the skull. It was a hill outside of the city limits. It was a hill in which they crucified people. It was in the shape of a skull. And there they nailed him to the cross, and there they hoisted him up so that everybody could see him die. But you recall that he wasn't the only one on a cross on Golgotha. There were two others that were on crosses. They were thieves. That's all we know about them. They were thieves, and they had been caught in their thievery, and now they were being crucified along with Jesus. And we know almost nothing about these two men. We only know they were thieves, and we only know what they say to Jesus on their cross. But that's really all we need to know. Because here, today is Resurrection Sunday. But before I talk about the resurrection, I've got to ask you a question. Which thief are you? Which thief are you? What a ridiculous question. <laughs> What a ridiculous question to ask people here Easter Sunday. Here we have come to church on Easter Sunday. We're at Sugar Creek. We're the good people. And you ask us the question, which thief am I? Well, I want to answer that question, but before I do, I want us to read what happened about these two thieves. And it's found in Luke chapter 23 and verse 33. And I want you to notice what it says. And they came to a place called Golgotha, the skull, and they nailed Jesus to the cross. And the thieves were also crucified, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And one of the thieves, hanging beside him, scoffed. So, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So there were two thieves. Which thief are you? The first thief wanted Jesus. But he wanted Jesus only on his own terms. He had heard the mockery of those that were around the cross, and he simply mimicked what he heard them say. He said, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it. Show us by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. What he's saying is this, I'll believe in you if you do what I want you to do, when I want you to do it, and how I want you to do it. I will believe in you if you do what I want. 
So I thought about that. What if Jesus would have done it? What if Jesus would have come down from the cross? He could have. He could have just called angels, and a legion of angels would have come. And they would have taken him off the cross, and he would have been supernaturally healed, totally just like he was before all of this had happened. And don't you know he would have been the talk of Jerusalem? Don't you know that there would have been so many people that believed for a while? Because after all, he had already raised two people from the dead, and they believed for a while. He fed 5,000 with just a little bit of bread and, and two fishes, and people believed for a while. And he cleansed the lepers, and, he, and he, he, he gave sight to the blind, and people believed and were cheering him, and what a wonderful person he is. He's the Messiah, and they believed for a while. But then they demanded more. Show us more. Show us more of the tricks. But here's what I realized. If he would have done that, if he would have come down off the cross, you and I would have been lost forever. Why? Because the only shot we have is for Jesus to die in our place. Jesus didn't come just to tell us more things about Jesus, about, about, about the Father, about God that we didn't know. He didn't come just to do miracles so that we'd be wowed by Him. He came to die. That's why He came. He came to die on that cross to take our place. This was an exchange that was going on. He came to die for us. It is by His blood that we are saved. And this is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It was the exchange. He came to die in our place. It was by His blood that we were saved. On Friday night, it was a Friday night was so good. It was so special. It was a good Friday, and, we, and the whole thing about Friday night was about the, the crucifixion of Jesus, and we sang about it and spoke about it, and, and that, but that we came to the song, and I was not ready for it. It was, it was, it was called, it's called a blood medley, and it's talking about singing about the, the blood of Jesus Christ, and honestly, as I was singing it, I had to stop. I had tears coming down my cheeks because I knew what I was going to say today, and I thought, this is it. Oh, the blood of the Lamb. Oh, the precious blood of the Lamb. What a sacrifice that saved my life. Yes, the blood. It is my victory. Look, I know that there are people, look at this crowd, there, there are people here in this crowd and and. The truth is, you, you want Jesus as long as you can have him on your terms. 
Jesus, if you'll do what I want you to do, when I want you to do it, how I want you to do it, sure, I'll believe in you. Of course I will. The problem is, is that God doesn't do deals. And I know. I know that there are people at every Easter service that really don't want to be there. I mean, come on. Don't really want to be there. It's just that on Easter, our family goes to church and you're coming to church. Or mama said, you are not going to have a good day if you are not at church at Sugar Creek today. And you made a good decision, I'm telling you. You made a good decision to be here today. So yay, I'm glad you're here. But my question is, is it possible that you've been saying no to God because you've decided that you will only come to Him on, his, on your terms? Max Licato is a, a kind of great writer. I just love to read his stuff. and He's a pastor and is a, is a Christian writer. And in one of his books, he, he mentions this. He, he talks about, and I'm just going to read it to you, some of the views that people have about Jesus. For some, Jesus is a good luck charm. He's a rabbit's foot redeemer. His specialty is to get you out of a jam. Need a parking place? Rub the redeemer. Need help on a quiz? Pull out the rabbit's foot. No need to have a relationship with him. Just keep him in your pocket next to your four-leaf clover. For others, he is Aladdin's lamp redeemer. New jobs, pink Cadillacs, new and improved spouses, your wish is his command. And what's more, he conveniently re-enters the lamp when you don't want him around. And still for others. Jesus is the let's make a deal redeemer. For a few Sundays a year, okay, I will go to church and I will endure any sermon that is thrown at me as long as, in exchange, you give me the grace behind the pearly gate number three. But there's no relationship here. It's just religion. It's just empty religion. There's no relationship here. It's simply requiring that you come on your own terms. And the problem is, is that God doesn't make deals. And so here's the deal. Is it possible that you simply see Jesus as a means to an end? You want him as long as it's in your own terms. That's thief number one. But there's a second thief. The second thief wanted Jesus too, but for who Jesus is. Now, Matthew and Mark, the two gospels, first two of the four gospels, talks about this same thief, but they say that at the beginning, this second thief was mocking Jesus just like the first thief, but something happened. It was like an about face that happened. Something happened in him. We don't know what it was. We don't know how it happened, except I'm just imagining. I don't know for sure, but I'm imagining. I wonder if this second thief had actually heard Jesus teach. I wonder if he had heard the things that Jesus was saying. I mean, Jesus was all over Jerusalem. Maybe he had. And, and I wonder if this second thief may have seen some of the miracles, at least one of them, and he had formed some kind of initial impression about Jesus. Maybe he is the Messiah. 
And there on the cross, there he is. He never expected Jesus to be there. There he is. And the second thief, as he is mocking Jesus with the first thief, suddenly he was gripped with guilt and gripped with a conviction of sin in his own life. And something stopped for him, and he turned totally around. And he said to the first guy, Wait, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Did you catch this? The second thief admitted he was guilty. He didn't try to excuse. He didn't try to blame somebody else. It's not me. It's not my fault. He acknowledged the truth about the sin in his own life. He admitted he was a sinner. And we all are. There's not one of us who are sitting here or standing here, not one of us in this room today, who can be here on the basis of our own righteousness because we don't have any. None of us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as the Scriptures say, no one is righteous. No, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Not you, not me, not a single one. And then in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and the wages of that sin, our sin is death. Now, look, I, I'm looking out to a group of people I know. I've been here a long time now. And I'm looking out to a group of people I know. I don't know everybody in the room, but I know a lot of people in the room. And I, couldn't, I, I wouldn't doubt for the slightest that if we compared you to people you work with or people that you go to school with or people that are in your extended family or any of your neighbors, you would come out on top. Okay, you would be the best of all those people. I don't doubt that at all. But the problem is, is that God doesn't compare us to other people. God compares us to the holiness of a perfect Jesus. And in that comparison, we don't stand a chance. Well, no, we're, we're sinners, every one of us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I'm going to tell you something. Lee Strobel, before he came to the, to the end of his research about the resurrection, and he came to the place to say, I can't deny this anymore. I'm stunned. I am stunned at the evidence of the resurrection. I never dreamed it would be like this. That still did not save Lee Strobel because he had to come to a place in which Jesus became his Lord. He had to come to a place in which he recognized he was a sinner in need of a Savior. You can't ever be saved until you come to know the truth about you, that you're a sinner and in a need of a Savior. And Lee Strobel had to come to the same place. I need a Savior because I need to be saved. I'm a sinner. And that's what happens to this second thief right there on the cross. And the second thing that I notice in it, the second thief trusted Jesus 
with no strings attached. This is the shocker. Get ready. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, come on. Be real with this. See the statement in the scene. There is Jesus. He has been beaten almost to the end of his life. Flesh ripped off of his body. Nailed to a cross. He's within minutes of dying. And this guy says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Somehow, some way, this second thief came to understand that this was a part of it all. And he truly is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The second thief is saying, Jesus, you don't have to do what I want you to do, when I want you to do it, how I want you to do it. You can be Lord and do whatever you must do. I don't understand this whole thing. It's happened in front of my very eyes. But if this is what needs to happen, no matter what, I will trust you. He had more faith than any of the disciples. You don't have to get me off a cross. You don't have to reverse my finances. You don't have to heal my child. You don't have to give me the job I want. I believe in you with no strings attached. Oh, that's a whole nother level. The second thief. Some saw Jesus raise the dead and still didn't believe. This thief saw him being put to death, and yet he believed. Some saw Jesus heal the blind and cure the leper, but still did not believe. This thief looked at a bruised, beaten, and humiliated Jesus and was convinced that he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The first thief said, take me down, and the second thief said, take me with you. The first thief just wanted a quick fix. And the second thief wanted a forever relationship. You know what is interesting to me? That both of these thieves died. Both of them died. And when they died and they were taken off their crosses and they were laid on the ground and anybody that looked at them, they'd say, well, they both ended up in the same place. They both died. But what a person looking at these two thieves would not know is that one second after they died, the second thief was in heaven with Jesus Christ. They would not know that. You know what I notice in this story? I notice that Jesus never says one word to the first thief, not one. It's as though Jesus was saying to the thir- first thief, it, okay, if that's the way you feel, okay. If that's how you think about me, Okay, and I believe he still does it today. You want me, Jesus, I want you as far away from me as I, as I can have, except, except on occasion when I need you, as far away as you. God, I want you to have nothing to do with my life. I am leading my life just fine without you. And God just says, okay. But the second thief said, Jesus, would you remember me? When you come into your kingdom, and I want to tell you what Jesus said to him. Luke chapter 23, verse 43, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. 
Do I believe that he's in paradise on that day? I believe it with all my heart. And how do I believe it? How can I know for sure? Because three days later, Jesus came up out of the grave. And when Jesus came up out of the grave, he proved that everything he said about God was true. Everything he said about himself was true. Everything he said about us and our need for him and how to be saved is true. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. You take all the religious leaders of all the other religions, gather them all up, all the other religions, bring them all together, and every single one of those originators of those religions, when they died, they stayed dead. But Jesus, when he died, he came back alive three days later, proving the truth about who he is. Now, there's one more thing I want to share with you, and we're done, and it's simply this. When you go to a particular verse, it's a shocking moment because it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, and listen to what he explains. He says that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God because of Jesus. Do you understand the exchange he's talking about? He said that God takes our sin, puts it on Jesus. He takes Jesus' righteousness and puts it on us. And at that moment on the cross, when this guy, this second thief said, Jesus, remember we, when you come into your kingdom. At that very moment, God lifted up his sin and he put his sin on Jesus. And he lifted up Jesus' righteousness and he put Jesus' righteousness on this guy. And the same thing happens when you and I give our heart to Jesus Christ. At that moment, our sin is placed upon Jesus and his righteousness on us. So that when God sees us, he no longer sees us in our so-called good deeds, which mean nothing. They're filthy rags before a holy God. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Would you stop trying to think you're somehow good enough to get to heaven because you're not? And would you take on the righteousness of Jesus? Would you take him seriously? Would you stop being the first thief? And would you become the second one and give your heart to Jesus Christ? Jesus died to save you, and he rose again to show you that he can save you. And this morning, you can know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Please, please don't turn away from Him. Don't come here to Easter and hear this truth and push Him away. Let's pray. Father, we come to You today and we thank You for the truth of who You are, the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of what He did. And Father, I pray for many in this room who do not know Jesus as Savior, maybe religious, very religious, very good, very moral, but do not know you as Savior. And oh God, I pray that this is the moment of salvation in the hearts of many in this room. Father, if there is a want to in this person's heart, that is your Holy Spirit drawing them. And I pray, Father, draw. And we pray that today that many would come to know Jesus Christ 
as a personal Lord and Savior. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.